Welcome to Game Changers Innovation Podcast. I'm Mark Ranella, Senior Editor for the IXL Center. This podcast is brought to you by the Global Innovation Management Institute, the global standard certification board for innovation and innovation management. In part two of my conversation with Charles McConnell, we move from understanding the need for innovation in the energy industry to focusing more on how to get that innovation done. This is a tall order of business that requires coordinating resources from distinct sources, industry and academia. While each needs the other to remain vibrant, their methods, outlooks, and goals have historically been distinct. So at the end of our previous conversation, McConnell explored the need for leaders in the energy industry to be creative and bold when seeking markets for some of the research and innovation they conduct. We went on to discuss the necessary trade-offs that accompany any major decision about making energy production truly sustainable in the future. In the case of creating the infrastructure for renewables, as McConnell mentioned at the end of part one of the podcast, there is a sustainability trade-off between making renewable energy more widely available and the supply chain used to make the devices that generate or store renewable energy. Any changes for the better, McConnell suggests, often entail unanticipated complications that have to be carefully considered. Conversely, McConnell described the need to pivot in the energy industry, which means the ability to turn apparent failures into successes. In his own career, McConnell previously worked with Patel Energy on creating a process of capturing carbon emissions. The business model of this project depended on a prediction about government regulation that did not eventually come to pass. Specifically, at the end of the last decade, there was a move to tax carbon emissions in a global system called cap and trade, which would provide economic incentives to large organizations like companies or countries to achieve reductions in creating pollutants. The uh, legislation from the Congress in the U.S. that would support this system was contained in the Waxman-Markey Bill, but that bill never became law. Despite the unanticipated failure of the Waxman-Markey Bill, the investment in this technology used for carbon capture was salvaged when the captured CO2 went from being simply stored to becoming part of a process that's known as enhanced oil recovery. Using today's industry terms, this means moving from carbon capture and storage to carbon capture utilization and storage, from CCS to CCUS. The world is now coming to recognize the need to utilize the CO2, as well as to safely and permanently store it. In short, preventing the emissions and getting a resulting economic benefit in enhanced oil recovery which is now known as EOR. This creative redeployment of research and change of mindset in moving from CCS to CCUS was possible because entrepreneurial leaders in the oil industry were not afraid to move in a different direction. While this ability to pivot is a key skill that has great potential, of course, McConnell added this one important caveat. And it's hard in the energy industry, Mark. Right. Uh, things cost a lot to deploy. Capital intensity 
Uh, and you go back to that societal responsibility that we began this conversation with. Mm-hmm. You, you cannot be out there in the marketplace uh, making changes that you're not sure will be okay. Mm. People demand more from that, from the energy industry, maybe more than any other industry as mm-hmm. it relates to that. You put a new app on a cell phone and it doesn't work, well, okay, it doesn't work. You can go turn the phone in, right, and get a new right. app. But but in a, in a circumstance in energy where you've got a large footprint, you're impacting society, you have to be very responsible in the way you advance technology mm-hmm. and ultimately be able to, to have an outcome. But that, that can't make you afraid. It can't make you conservative. Right. And so, again, it's that blend. It's that sharp edge that you need to stay on to be successful. Right. And it seems like the divining rod for this is the capturing of value somehow. And uh, it's so interesting that you know you can grab CO2 and then apply it in a whole new place, but it has to have some sort of business value probably to maintain the effort. Yes, Mark. And it's, it's, and it's okay to be good for business and good for the environment. Absolutely. It doesn't have to be either or. And that's the key. Find the innovation space where you can be accretive from a business standpoint Mm -hmm. and make a positive environmental impact. And that's back to that definition of energy sustainability. Right. Well, I think that's one definition that in the Global Innovation Management Institute, we certainly take to heart that you have to be sustainable. And sustainable means economically viable. Um, you can't depend on handouts or luck. You really have to aim for capturing value. Um, you bet. And, and you know, Mark, not to interrupt here, but I no, think no, the please. other thing that you have to get back to is a fundamental recognition that the availability, the reliability, the resilience of actually simply supplying the energy is something that you can never take for granted. We're looking at opportunities even here in this country right now, about strategic industries, strategic electric supply reserves in this country that are becoming more and more impacted by the changes that people are pushing. Changes that are good long term. There's no question about it. But as we begin to retire more and more of the older technologies, the coal-based technologies, the nuclear-based technologies that have provided reliable baseload power for lots of years in this country, and we've taken it for granted, Mm. we're retiring that faster and faster and faster, assuming that we're going to go into the future with the same kind of reliability and, and resilience that we've had for all these years. And it's something we need to be very mindful of. We have to be strategically planning around making sure that the electric supply system specifically was originally put in and continues to be for the good of the public. Not necessarily the most commercially nimble type of, of energy market. People get stuck on affordability and they talk about pricing and all of the things that go into that as a commodity market. It's not just a commodity market. Mm-hmm. It's for the public good. And it's for all of us to have that confidence that we're going to flick the light on or have the air conditioning running or whatever we're depending on 
all of the time, weather-related, cyber-related, all of the things that are coming at us today more and more than ever, and how mindful we have to be about strategically planning for that future that we're all envisioning. And that future will change. There's no question about it. It's not about hanging on to the past. It's about being thoughtful and strategic about how we move into the future. Most recently, you've become executive director of the Energy Environment Initiative at RICE. I'm wondering how you're focusing your efforts there, especially as it relates to innovation in the energy industry. Well, well, the thing that, uh, and by the way, I'm delighted to be at Rice. It'll be five years here next month since I oh, left the great. federal government. And, and yeah, it's just fantastic. I'm, I'm blessed because I get to be around smart people every day, and I, I never take that for granted. It, and what I try to stress with the students here and, and many of the faculty that I work with is that for our Energy and Environment Initiative to have the most uh, impact, we have to be relevant. So the relevancy and the impact of the things that we're working on we need to make sure that's at the very top of the list. And so I guess I'll go back to one of the comments that I made earlier that many people might find a, a little counterintuitive, but, but I don't. Uh -huh. And that is that the fossil fuel industry, oil and gas, coal, uh, the, the aspects of that industry, not only in our country, but especially around the world, has the biggest impact on the environment today and likely for the next 50 years. Mm. So can we work on technologies in our energy and environment initiative that are going to impact the environmental footprint of the fuels that are most relevant and most impactful? Now, you know, for us, we're in the middle of the energy capital of the world here right. in Houston. We have oil and gas companies that are surrounding us uh, here in town. Students want to go to work for companies that are going to be uh, innovative, that are going to be involved with the future energy supplies of the world, and that are going to be companies that will also be envir environmentally responsible and operating with that concern and drive toward the communities that they're operating in. And you even see many of the oil and gas uh, companies now, uh, CEOs coming out talking about carbon taxes and how we see that as an important part of our future, I believe it is. I believe it is. And it's, 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 it's globally recognized. But to do that doesn't mean that you're going to pivot away from the fuels and hate the fuels. What it says is you need to, to turn right into the concern about the emissions from those fuels. Are we doing the most we can technically to lower those emissions or, or eliminate them? And it's not just carbon dioxide emissions from coal-fired power plants, but it's methane emissions from the exploration of oil and gas and the implication of that on the global footprint. It's the use of water in fracking and the most effective way to to handle that and, and to be productive in the way we're using water. Uh, and, and that conversation goes on and on. And so we have centers of activity here at Rice that we focus on from a market standpoint uh -huh. to apply those functional technology areas that we have in our engineering department, our national sci natural sciences department, 
But we, we reach even further here at Rice in terms of policy with our Baker Institute of Public Policy and Center of Energy Studies. We work with our Jones Graduate Business School here to do business analysis and case studies of opportunities in the energy space. And we're constantly looking at interdisciplinary, cross-functional teams to be able to solve industry problems and marketplace challenges. And that's the beauty of, of this initiative here is to pull that all together, to be able to harmonize our capabilities here and make our impact as high as it can possibly be because we've got that interdisciplinary uh, team process. Right. I think that's a, that's a sort of leading edge trend in a lot of universities is to try to get different departments to work together like this. And, and it may be that in a university setting, it might be possibly a little easier to get people to cooperate across those sort of functional and um, business silos as are often present in, uh, in industry and maybe work together more easily. Do you find that to be the case? Well, actually, Mark, uh, I might argue it's exactly opposite. Oh, really? Okay. And the reason, and, and I think the reason is, it's, is that, you know, the, the individual pursuit of, of knowledge and capabilities that's baked into a university construct certainly drives people in their individual areas and individual research, et cetera, et cetera. And so, and, and that's the beauty of pursuing academic challenges and, and, and academic knowledge, uh, mm -hmm. the, whole, the whole concept of it. So it's not necessarily a natural behavior for researchers from different disciplines to necessarily work together. Although I think you're right, we are seeing those trends beginning to change. And I think especially seeing it from the standpoint of the, the researchers and certainly the students mm -hmm. constantly want to make the world a better place. And they recognize that the changes that are coming in the world are going to require interdisciplinary cooperation. The ability to work in teams effectively, but also be able to come up with challenges in terms of the way the research is going, the ability to pivot, the ability to look in other ways. When you have cross-disciplinary teams, you have that dynamic that otherwise wouldn't be there. And it's essential. It really is essential for the kind of transformative research that, that we want to drive forward. So we look for opportunities with, with industry relationships, uh -huh. with relationships with different departments in the federal government, the, the, the Office of Science at the Department of Energy, the Office of Fossil Fuels, the Office uh -huh. of uh, Renewables, the EERC organizations, uh -huh. the, the ability to look at the Department of Defense, and some of the challenges that are there as well. Okay. And so all of those uh, places where, where we can connect with marketplace problems, challenges, opportunities, to be able to partner with industry uh, for the cost share, for the real world applications and deployment of some of these early stages technologies, and then ultimately what it does is open up a world of opportunities that perhaps our students might not be aware of if they weren't exposed to it. And so we look at it as a real life opportunity for our students and faculty to feel the marketplace in a different way. And when we can do that, I think we're really working on things that are going to be game changing. 
It doesn't mean that you're not working on cutting edge science. It doesn't mean that you're seeding any of your academic pursuits, not at all. But it says that you're really focused on making the world a better place and making an impact. And that's really key. In looking towards the future of the energy industry, one topic we didn't get to was looking at the leadership necessary to help navigate from the energy industry of the past to this digital energy industry of the future. The way I see it, leadership has to take some human constants into consideration first. People haven't changed that much over the centuries in how they want to use energy. They want to use it to stay warm, stay safe. Their applications haven't changed, often devoted to transportation and manufacturing. Desires haven't changed that much. People want a better life, and they know that energy utilization is part of that. But there are some big human changes afoot. For the younger generation, their outlook is different because they know that big problems are facing us related to energy. The result of rising population and rising demands and the use of natural resources and emissions like CO2 and methane that come with those demands. This younger generation has grown up with a clear vision of these issues. Their elders, for the most part, grew up in a different world that focused most of its efforts on energy development and consumption, not on sustainability. That's where a leader like McConnell can play such a key role in shaping the future of sustainable energy development. Leaders like McConnell have the wisdom of the past that is also connected to a vision of a changing future, knowing that change is hard, but it's also possible and desirable. When the wisdom of age can align with the energy of youth, how far can we go? The sky's the limit, in my opinion. In our next podcast, we'll be turning to the topic of health and wellness and having a discussion with Dr. Nada Milosevlevic, who's had as wide and varied a career in health and wellness as Mr. McConnell has had in the energy industry. It should be a fascinating talk. Until that time, this is Mark Ranello from the Global Innovation Management Institute, wishing you all the best. Take care.